0: evening we gather and we celebrate and remember one of the greatest moments that defines you and I as people of faith as followers of Jesus you see it's it's good friday and, and we call it good because we know that something happened that was good for us but it wasn't good for the one who did it at least not in the moment that we remember tonight and it is friday and that is a significant moment because on a friday that What we will talk about, that event that we're going to talk about, it occurred where Jesus would give his life for you and I. Um, This is the beginning of the gospel story. This is the moment that secures something very special for you and I, um, and it's sealed with the events of Sunday, but we're not there yet. This evening, as I join with you and as we join together, I want to read you a passage, and I want to share some things with you on this Good Friday evening. You see, we've been talking about faith and what does faith look like when the world falls apart. And this evening is an equally important part of that conversation. Tonight we're going to talk about sacrifice. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, but everything great in life, it is attained by sacrifice. Everything good that you would experience, someone sacrificed to get you there, or you sacrificed to get there. It's a true statement for all things good in the world. Anything great that we will experience, we achieve that through sacrifice. And our salvation, our walk with God, it's no different. You see, in the Gospels, there are stories about Jesus, and there's a particular story that begins to set in motion the events of that Friday evening, of that Friday event, of all the things that would unfold to secure the salvation of our souls. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, there's this story. I want to begin in verse 12, and I want to read to verse 25 with you. And this is what the Bible says, the context of sacrifice. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples, that's the disciples of Jesus, they said to him, where do you want us to go And prepare for you to eat the Passover. He sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he himself will show you a large upper room already furnished, ready. Prepare for us there. The disciples they went out and they came to the city. And they found it just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the passover. When it was evening, he Jesus he came with the 12 And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be grieved. And they said to him, one by one, surely not I. And he said to them, It is one of the twelve one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take it, this is my body." And when he had taken a cup and he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, in this passage, Mark records for us this encounter that Jesus has with his followers. And this is all about sacrifice. The context is sacrifice. Uh, The Passover was a celebration that the Jewish people were a part of yearly, and they would bring sacrifices to cover and atone for their sins. It was a part of their religious tradition, and we have religious traditions today. We follow them. But do we know the meaning, and do we experience them personally? You see this passage for you and I this evening. It, it draws into focus that religion and rituals will not save. There's something greater behind religion and rituals that we need to plug into. And I'm going to tell you, it's the power of sacrifice. It is a sacrifice that secures our faith. It is a sacrifice that is the bedrock of all who hope in Christ. And this sacrifice of this story is surrounded by some things that are very significant. I I think they're meaningful for you as you consider the sacrifices that you've been making in your life, the sacrifices that you're perhaps going to have to continue to make in your life, the sacrifices that you make of your own good, your own will, your own desires on behalf of others for their good, their will, their desires. I think you're going to find yourself similar to Jesus by understanding the meaning of sacrifice. It's a lot deeper than religion and rituals. You see, Jesus begins this moment uh, with something fascinating. He tells his disciples, they ask him the question, in the midst of this great celebration that everybody is participating in, in this nation, This is a significant cultural moment for them, and everyone's doing it. And therefore, Jesus' followers, they say to him, hey, where are we going to participate in the Passover as well? Where do we take it? Notice what Jesus does. He tells them where to go, what to look for, what's going to happen, and when they see it, what to say. He knows every detail. Can I share with you the first thing that's powerful about the power of sacrifice that's meaningful about sacrifice? God has orchestrated our lives in such a way where we all are going to have a divine encounter with Him. We all have divine moments with Jesus. And all of this setup, while we're thinking about sacrifice, it was really something more significant. Jesus had a divine moment, a divine encounter prepared that he had already set in motion before anybody else knew anything about it. You see, Jesus has divine moments in our lives to get our attention. And right now, it's exactly what this is. God uses divine moments to get our attention. Don't you think his disciples, when they went through the process, Jesus had told them this, and they probably weren't thinking anything about it. But everything happened exactly like Jesus said, every detail. I mean, come on for a minute. If you're one of the disciples and you go, huh, there's a guy. Wait a minute. He's carrying a pitcher of water. He went into that house. Now you have to be the guy that goes up and, and knocks on the door, you're the woman that goes and says, uh, okay, um, Jesus told me that this was going to happen. And what do you think the response is going to be? Well, in our generation, people would probably say, you've lost your mind. But not if it's a divine moment and a divine encounter, because the owner of the house said, yes, I'm ready for you. I have a room upstairs. It's fully furnished gather the teacher and the rest of you and come and celebrate the Passover in my home. That's a divine moment. And Jesus is always wanting to celebrate the divine moments in the home of our hearts, in the home of our lives. And that's significant for you and I because God has a divine moment for you. God has a divine moment for me. God has a divine encounter prepared for everyone around you that you connect with, that's watching not only tonight, but those that you are going to share this with, God has a divine moment ready. And it's through his son Jesus. Notice this Jesus was aware of every little detail. Friends, if there's comfort in the Word of God and in the presence of Jesus, especially in our generation, Jesus is aware. Of every little detail, none of what you and I go through in this world catches him off guard. He knows every second, every moment, he knows exactly what he's doing. And that tells me, if he knows what he's doing, he has a plan. You see, as Jesus spelled out these details, he had a plan. His plan wasn't just a plan, a strategy that was made up. He had a divine plan. He knew that this divine moment was going to lead to a divine salvation. It was a divine plan, and it was a plan that only He could accomplish and only He could fulfill, and only He could do it on behalf of those who were willing to partake of this moment with Him. That's a divine moment. That's what Jesus set in motion. And He was working out a very specific plan for the good of others as He was in the context in the mindset of sacrifice. He was not only aware of what he was doing, and not only was he aware of his plan, he was at work. There was a greater plan at work than anyone could see. You see, for his followers, they simply thought it was about going to take a Passover meal, going to be reminded that a lamb would be sacrificed to cover sins. Cover sins but not take away sins. You see, Jesus was at work to implement a divine plan in a divine moment, and guess what? In our lives, He has those for us as well. Don't miss the fact that Jesus is at work. Jesus has a plan in all that He's doing, that He is aware of everything you and I go through, and He's going to accomplish something supernatural and beyond anything that we may understand about our lives, If we trust Him, if we walk with Him, if we'll join with Him in life, we will find Him working out divine moments for our good. And there's a second thing that stands out. You see, all of this happened just like Jesus said, but there's something significant about the moment. He's sharing it with His followers. He's there in this setting, and all the people of the nation, all the people of the culture are participating in this event. But as he's with them, he, he lays something out there and he says, listen, someone here, one of you, one of my closest, one of my followers, one of you who have been with me through my life and through the things that I've done that are good for other people, one of you is going to betray me. Now, naturally, If you have been in church and and you've read the Bible, you have a name that you're thinking immediately. Perhaps you're referencing back to a message previously that I've talked about this, but hold on just a minute. The Bible tells us in Mark that they all questioned within themselves. They all asked the question, Lord, is it me? Lord, could I be the one? Surely it's not I is it? Oh, and that's powerful for you and I in the midst of encountering God in our divine moment, in having a divine moment with Jesus, because this second thing is huge, and that is this reality that even His followers reclined and gathered with Him to celebrate sacrifice reminds you and I that we all need a Savior. There wasn't one of them exempt in the room. There wasn't an individual there that did not have the capacity to sin against God and to betray Jesus and to violate their faith. There was not one individual. They all questioned themselves. And that's a great reminder that for all of us, we all have the capacity to fall away from God, to sin against God to doubt God, to turn away from God. We've done that in our lives, perhaps prior to knowing and experiencing our divine moment with Jesus, yet we lived a life of our own way and our own pathway, and it wasn't God's way and God's pathway. It wasn't getting us where we needed to be, but yet in the moment that we perhaps encountered Christ, and some of you have done that, you realized you personally needed a Savior, It wasn't ritual. It wasn't religion. It was something personally that clicked inside of you by the Spirit of God. You came to grips with the reality, I need to be saved by Jesus. And some of you are still struggling with that. You're questioning that. Well, this passage shows us we all need that. We all need a Savior. Divine moments are set up for us to encounter God and His Son Jesus and Jesus and what He was about to do. He was showing everyone needs a Savior. Now, it's easy. I'll reference the individual that I was talking about. It's easy to say, well, it was Judas. Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. I cannot believe Judas would do that. I mean, if I had been sitting there, if you had been sitting there, surely none of us would have betrayed Christ. But guess who else was at the table? There's this gentleman called Simon Peter. Simon Peter, his confession is the foundation of the church. It's what Jesus said he would build the church on. Simon Peter, when you confess that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon that, the church is going to be built. That is the foundation of the church. It's this Simon Peter who walks on water. I mean, when's the last time you tried that? It won't work out very well for you and I today. Simon Peter accomplished that. It's this Simon Peter that was the best fisherman that's ever existed. I mean, all he had to do was throw nets on the other side of the boat and fill up the boat with fish. That's all he had to do. Listen to Jesus. It's this Simon Peter that had so much faith to follow Jesus and to say, I will never deny you. And yet, by the end of the events of this evening, over the next few days, Jesus would tell Simon Peter, Simon Peter, you will deny me. You will deny me three times. No, I will never. I won't do that. But yet he was at the table. He was in this moment. He needed a Savior as much as Judas needed a Savior. And guess what? He fell away. He denied. He set aside his faith even with profanity. I don't even know the man. And he spelled that out in a very profane way to distance himself from Jesus and from any persecution that might would come by saying he belonged to Christ. Oh, and it wasn't just Simon Peter. the, the Bible tells us that they all scattered. They all separated. They all went to different places to hide. Every single person reclining at this table in this moment to participate with Jesus in a moment to remember the power of sacrifice, every one of them ran away. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, the reality is that in our lives... We are prone to run away from God. We are prone to doubt Him. We are prone to reject the truth in moments of temptation, challenge, and struggle. We are prone to go into our fleshly, normal human patterns instead of rising above when a divine moment is before us. And that shows us if we're honest and if we lay it all on the line, you and I, we need a Savior. And that's what Jesus was trying to show them on this evening. As they all fled, as they all went through this moment of rejection, they all had to come back to the reality that their response would not keep Jesus from doing the best thing with His sacrifice to save them, forgive them, and redeem them in the midst of their failure. Oh, and there is this comment that Jesus makes, and it seems harsh. The one who would betray me, it would have been better if that individual had not been born. Wow, what a, what a challenging and in-your-face statement, right? And, and perhaps that creates a little tension inside of you because perhaps you feel like, wow, if he said that about Judas, and I look at what I've done. Uh, w- what is left for me? But you know, It's in your lowest of lows, your deepest of doubts, the moments when you think you have gone so far that it would be better if your life had just not existed and you had not been born. It's in those moments, friend, that Jesus is still there, that Jesus is still the Savior, and that Jesus still desires to rescue you. He wants you. To save you. And that's a divine moment. Don't even let your low moments miss the reality that Jesus has orchestrated your life, your moments, to get you to a place where you would recognize, just like they all did in this moment, I need a Savior. And that brings us then to the elements that He used, they are a picture. Normally, people would participate in communion, Lord's Supper. They would take a, a cup and a bread, and, and it would be a ritual. It would be a symbol. It would be a sign of remembrance. And people have belief systems about what that does inside of you. At the end of the day, it's way more than bread and a cup. And I don't want you to miss this. You see, we're talking about sacrifice, and divine moments set those up. They help us to realize we need a Savior. And that Savior, His sacrifice, it is His sacrifice that has opened the doors to the kingdom of heaven for you and for me. It is the sacrifice of Jesus that has opened the doors of heaven, the kingdom of God. They have been opened wide for you and for me. That is the power of sacrifice. And that's way more than taking communion. That is way more than a bread and a cup and a moment. No, this is a lifetime of experiencing the power of a relationship with Christ and what His sacrifice does every day in His divine moments of your life. When I look at this, This is about a cross. This story in this moment is really about what Jesus would do. This is a moment that helps us recognize that His body would be sacrificed on a cross to become our blessing. His brokenness would secure a blessing, the blessing of knowing God, being saved by God, experiencing a relationship with God. His blood would be sacrificed to seal our salvation. By the shedding of His blood on a cross, that sacrifice, it would seal. It would seal a promise, a covenant, something that God would sign and never break. His blood shed on a cross was that seal of the commitment of God to secure our salvation forever. Not based on what we've done before, not based on what you've done today or you will do tomorrow, but based on the mercy and the sovereignty of the love of an almighty God. He did it. And His Son was the payment and the sacrifice. It is this promise that Jesus made because He said, I promise you this. I do this for the salvation of many. And to promise you means that one day you will see it to be true in the kingdom of heaven. This will happen again, you and I together, but not until you get to the place that I promised, heaven. And so how did he open up the doors of the kingdom of heaven? Well, I think you know the journey as well as I. You see, from this moment on, Jesus went out and he went to pray. He prayed all night. And knowing what his divine moment meant, that he was on the verge of experiencing an excruciating evening at the hands of people who wanted to kill him. He sweat drops of blood. He was praying so intently. In the middle of this moment, his followers were with him. And all of these followers who were here in this moment, there, a few of them were there, and Jesus just simply said, support me. I need your help as I pray. Watch. They couldn't even stay awake. He would come and nudge them and, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. And they'd go back to the natural. They'd go back to sleep. They'd go back to the flesh, and they'd go back to what was weak. They slept. In the midst of that moment, here comes the betrayer leading an army. And this army comes, and they, they grab Jesus. They go after Jesus. Here's Simon Peter in this moment. He pulls out a sword, and he strikes at someone. And Jesus says, that's not the way this is going to go down. And he, he grabs the ear of the servant of the high priest that Simon Peter had cut off. He grabs that ear. He puts it back on him and heals him. I mean, that would have been enough to prove that he was the Son of God, and everybody should have stopped him, but they didn't. They took him into custody. They took him into illegal trials to discredit him, to try to undermine anything that he had ever done for the good of people. They they brought in false witnesses, and they lied against him. And ultimately, this secret group of leaders, they pronounced judgment on him. They sent him to the leader of the nation of the day, and the leader of the nation of the day wanted to let him go, but the crowds would not. The crowds cried out, crucify him. The leader, he wanted nothing to do with this. He and his wife even recognized in that moment that they were getting into something way over their heads in the midst of this natural cultural phenomenon called the Passover, the sacrificing of a lamb. And yet... Because of the cry of the crowds, he took Jesus and he had him flogged, scourged, the flesh ripped off of his back, torn apart from him, thinking that sympathy might allow the crowds to relent and let him go. But no, they yelled even more, crucify him. And therefore, this leader, Pilate, he washed his hands of the situation. He turned Jesus over to the crowds. Jesus carried a cross on his ripped open flesh of his back. Before doing so, he was mocked by the soldiers. A crown of thorns, and we're not talking little bitty thorns, we're talking thorns, was mashed into his head. He was spat upon. He was beaten in such a way by the soldiers, and they would say, if you're the Son of God, tell us who it is who hit you. They put a scarlet robe around him to signify his royalty since he was the king, right? And they mocked him, and they made him carry his cross to a place called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, a nail in each hand, a nail through his feet. And they left him there hanging to die. In great pain and agony, Jesus in several moments said some things, but one of the greatest things he said is, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Think about it. How many times in your life do you need forgiveness because you are out of your mind? You really didn't know what you were doing. Jesus prayed that and stated that while hanging on that cross. And then in the darkness of a moment, Jesus, after enduring great suffering and agony, He said, My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, there was this recognition that the God, the Father, who always has to turn His holiness away from the brokenness of sin, in that moment, God had turned His back on His Son. That's why Jesus felt forsaken, alone, abandoned, Because in that very moment, he bore on the cross every sin that you or I or those around or the people of the world had ever committed. He bore it because he was willing to sacrifice. And he gave up his spirit, and he breathed his last, and he died for you and for me. You see, it began with a divine moment. Jesus set it up. He knew what he was doing. He was working a plan. He was going to accomplish God's will. And he will do that in your life. He will do that in mine. And it began with this moment where he's gathered with people and their eyes were open to the reality that it could be me. It could be me that betrays him. Jesus, is it I? I need a Savior. We all need a Savior. But then that sacrifice, more than just bread, more than just a cup, no, a life given for people, that sacrifice, placed on a cross, rejected because he bore all of the sins of the world, that sacrifice opened up the kingdom of heaven, the doors of heaven wide, so that all who would believe may enter in. When I look at the power of sacrifice, when I understand this evening that you and I have taken a moment to remember sacrifice and how everything great in our lives comes through sacrifice. Listen, there is one divine moment with a sacrifice that is greater than all, and it is the divine moment when you realize, yes, Lord, it's me, I need a Savior. Tonight, my encouragement to you is this. If you have never taken the divine moments that God has already brought to your life and recognized that you need a Savior, then now is your time. The sacrifice of Jesus opened up the doors of the kingdom of heaven for you, and it wasn't about ritual, and it wasn't about religion. It's not about a piece of bread, and it's not about what's in the cup. It's about your relationship to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, by sacrificing your heart, your will, to receive Him into your life. If you haven't done that, I want you to do that right now. And I'd like to pray with you. And I'd like for us to pray together because I want you to experience a divine moment with God that will change your life forever. Will you take a moment where you are, and will you bow your head and close your eyes? Because that will allow you to focus on who you're about to talk to. And it's not the people around you, it's God. And God has this moment for you. And I'd like for us to use it well so that you can experience the power of Jesus' sacrifice in your life. Will you pray with me? God in heaven, thank you for your love. And this is a divine moment that we all have with you right now. We all, as we gather and as we listen and as we pray, we all realize we need a savior, I need a savior. God, my friends tonight, they need a savior. And for those who've never done that authentically and genuinely and for real by faith, not by just knowledge and not by just religion and not by ritual and not by church, but from a heart that acknowledges I'm a sinner. I'm a betrayer. I'm one who you worked out every divine moment to get my attention, and I need a Savior. So, Jesus, tonight I acknowledge your sacrifice, and I ask that the payment that you gave on a cross to cover and to remove, to forgive to cleanse and take away my sin and to open up my heart to you, that sacrifice, Jesus, I receive that right now by faith and I trust in you. If you meant that right now and you're praying, God is working in you and perhaps you're feeling the weight of this divine moment, realizing that you need a Savior and you've just asked Him to save you. Cherish this moment. It is divine. It is of God. And by your faith, authentically asking Jesus, my friend, Jesus just saved you. And as we this evening remember who He is, as we move forward this evening remembering what Jesus has done, this is good not only for those who tonight have remembered and recognized they need a Savior, this is good for all the church. This is good for all of you. For tonight, you have experienced and remembered. God has a divine moment for you. You all have experienced and remembered. We need a Savior. And we have recognized it is the sacrifice of Jesus that is opened up the kingdom of God, the doors of heaven for me and for you.